0: Thanks for tuning back, everybody. We'll probably edit some of this in post. Who knows? Long story short, welcome back, everybody. We have Mr. Freddie Ray, uh, local tattoo artist. Uh, can I can I give a sneak peek? Former cop? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, for sure. So, Freddie, how, how's life going for you? Life's good. Yeah? Life's good. What are you doing these days? Making tattoos. Traveling. Making
1: tattoos. Yeah.
2: Okay. Traveling yeah. a lot? Traveling a lot. Yeah? Yeah. Did you not get too grown up? No, we didn't travel much. Michigan. We, we went to Michigan a lot. <laughs> that was that it. it. Go to Michigan come right back. Yeah. You're done. Yeah, you're yeah. done. Yep, for sure. So you're trying um, to
0: make up for lost time, then? Yeah. Yeah. For, yep. Awesome. So who who are you? Who would you say you are? What do you do? Kind of what what's your jam? Oh I mean, man, you do tattoos, but I feel yeah. like you're around downtown a lot. You're done. I am. Like, go ahead, man.
2: Yeah. Well, um, you know, I'm single, so I'm I don't cook at home. That's why I'm downtown all the time at the restaurants eating. Um, it's. <laughs> It's just what it is, but um, yeah, I retired uh, from the police department a few years ago, two, two and a half years ago. How many years there? I'm with Fort Wayne, 17, Mm -hmm. and then I was with New Haven for about four and a half before that. So is that something you enjoyed? Did you
0: always, I mean, I only know you, I only knew you and met you as a tattoo guy with, you know, sleeves and
2: all that, and I'm like, wait, this guy was a cop? I was. This, This came about, the sleeves and whatnot came about a long time after I was a cop, yeah. Really? Yeah, and so you've been Did you grow up wanting to be a cop? Because
0: I I feel like most people look at cop and tattooing as two <laughs>
2: two separate deals. Here, I grew up wanting to be a secret service agent, which I guess is similar mm-hmm. but different. Um, and uh, that eventually turned into a police officer at some point, as a stepping stone, maybe right to get to the secret service. Right. Um, the stepping stone just kind of took me in my own path, you know, and, and I got too old to be a secret, <laughs> service, agent. Be a secret service agent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure.
0: <laughs> so you spent a lot of time in the police force. Uh, I did. What, was it a passion of yours over time? Did it turn into something like, man, I really love this, even though it wasn't necessarily. I
2: think initially when I worked for New Haven, um, it was an experiment to see if, if really it was an experiment to find out how getting involved in that would work going through the, the hiring process and, um, interviews and, and the physical stuff, it just turned into to something from there that I didn't expect. I think. And then you just kind of stuck around for the ride. I did. Yeah. So th- it got fun. I mean, it, it really was, I did, I did a lot of interesting things maybe that other people don't have an opportunity to do. Like what? Uh, you know, um, when I, when I transferred to Fort Wayne, pretty much right off the bat, like my first year or so, I got involved in an undercover project at at our local parks where, Mm. you know, men go out there and do things they shouldn't do with other men Mm. in public, Mm -hmm. um, which is the problem. (laughs) What they were doing was not the problem. Where they were doing it was the problem. Um, So I worked, you know, my first couple of summers uh, out there uh, in, in I guess you, you could call it plain clothes. I, I, would, I didn't work for narcotics. I wasn't undercover. I just dressed like a normal person and went out to mm-hmm. the park and picked people up. Um, and then that turned into a, a, a fl- a fl- like a fledgling program. They started, um, it was called the Neighborhood Response Team. And it was um, like a career criminal unit. Mm-hmm. So we would track. <clears throat> it really all came about because of one guy, this prolific burglar that would cut holes through the ceilings of businesses and break into their safes. And he was he was hitting hundreds of businesses a year, mm-hmm. just crazy, and they couldn't catch him. So they put this little band of us together to go catch this guy, and that, that turned into its own thing, which then eventually led to me working undercover as a narcotics detective. So then you were pretty much undercover your whole A lot year? of it, yeah, yeah. Probably of the 17 years I was with Fort Wayne, I I would say I spent on and off probably 12 years. Wow. Um, yeah. Undercover and in some capacity or
0: another. Now, there's a lot of uh, I'm just curious, a lot of military friends. My dad works <laughs> military now um, and we've seen a lot of families or personal lives. It's their special forces, not your traditional police officer, yeah. um, but maybe more of like that undercover role or you're very specialized in what you do. Uh, and we see it mess with them personally, whether it's friends, relationships, family, whatever. Did that pay a toll over time? I mean, that's a long time to be, I mean, I imagine you can't talk about a lot what you're doing, you know,
2: maybe, maybe in a different way than you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I know it does take a toll on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me it became something different over time working undercover long enough. it <clears throat> I don't know. Eventually, I feel like I became, it's time to put money in the swear jar, an <laughs> asshole. Um, it, it, you know, it, <clears throat> as a police officer, you can get away with more things than, than the average person, right? You can drive around fast. You can run red lights. You can not wear your seatbelt. You know, you can do these things that kind of put you in a different position from other people. But as an undercover police officer, you can do virtually anything
0: really?
2: and blame it all on the job. Mm. So whatever you want to do, you do whatever it is. And if you get caught, you're like, well, I'm, I'm on the job, I'm, I'm working. And mm. <clears throat> over time, I feel like I thought I could do whatever I wanted um, without consequence. And like, I, I always tell people when I'm, when I'm, talking about this. Do you remember, like, I think it was the second or third Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire. Oh, yeah. Where he becomes Venom. Yeah. And he's walking down the street, snapping his fingers and slapping girls on the butt and winking at people. That was me. Really? After working undercover long enough. So
0: it really tore, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I just became a jerk. Like, really, I think. Um, Did things that I, I, you know, shouldn't have done to people. Friends, you know, just Mm -hmm. treated them poorly and things. Mm Mm-hmm because I thought I could, mm-hmm. um, but it never took the toll on me that like, say a special forces person would have mm-hmm. like the, the, the PTSD and the, the bad stuff. I, I, it was never that. I just became a, a turd. <laughs> <Sorry>.
0: <laughs> when, was there like a defining moment? Or it's like, man, something. Cause I don't, every time I've known you, it's not like, man, Freddie's a turd. You know, yeah. no, there it's, was,
2: um, a, a, One of my best friends, he doesn't even remember this happening, but uh, (laughs) one of my best friends, we were out one night, um, at a bar up North drinking and he had been seeing this girl that worked at the bar and she and I got to talking and somehow exchanging like messages back and forth. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Mm -hmm. while, while we're all sitting at the table talking, somehow she and I are shooting messages back and forth and maybe Facebook, I don't remember what it was Mm -hmm. back then. Um, and eventually it was me like he left for the night went home I was married at the time Mm -hmm. um he left and went home and I'm shooting her messages like hey meet me in the parking lot behind the building and Mm -hmm. you know like yeah I thought I could never even occurred to me that he was my best friend I was just like I can do this because who's gonna stop me you know um with no regard for my wife and no regard for him or the girl or anything um nothing ended up happening but she told him what had happened mm-hmm. and then he got a hold of me and uh you know kind of confronted me about it and I was like oh dude i was just drunk don't worry about it it's no big deal and he sort of put me in my place yeah he he said you can't use being drunk as an excuse he's like you're a dick you, you know you, you're different than you used to be like you're you're treating people badly and he, he opened my eyes to it mm. um And then shortly thereafter that, my my wife and my daughter both had kind of a similar talk with me Mm. about the way I was treating people. Mm. Um, So it wasn't long after that. Some other things happened within the unit um, that I I wasn't pleased with. So I went on a vacation. And while I was on a vacation, I called the chief of police and I said, when I get back, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Um, And he's like, well, it'll take, you know, a couple of weeks. I'm like, no, when I get back. I will not go back to working undercover. I will be in a uniform or I won't be back. Wow. So I got home from vacation and a couple of days later I was in a uniform. Yeah. (laughs) Which was a shock.
0: It's kind of crazy. Sometimes we need those course corrections, you know, over time and when it happens to everybody, right? But it's, it's a matter of like how you respond to that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think you always have to have someone in your life that's willing to tell you the truth. Hmm. You know, sometimes we get so tied up in our heads about who we are and what we think we are. If everybody else keeps cheering that on, you'll just keep going. You know, if he hadn't said that to me, who knows what would have happened? You know, like eventually. You're, you're how old now?
0: Uh, Forty five. Do you would you say and I feel like you're fairly active on social, you know, you're out and about on town. Would you say social media has been helping people facilitate this? Oh, I'm getting a bunch of likes. I need to keep doing this, whether it's good or bad.
2: I believe that anymore it's like people live two separate lives their social life media life way. and their real life. Yeah. And from what I've seen, they're very different things for a lot of people. <clears throat> um, I try to keep things pretty level yeah. as much as I can, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, but I see people that I know are struggling personally that put very positive things on social media. But in their personal life they're a mess. Mm. And and I, I so yeah, I don't know where how that I don't know if getting likes is helping. You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if that's why everybody pretends that everything's great, because you get more likes that way than when you're negative on yeah. social media. I, I yeah. don't know. But for celebrities it certainly seems to work.
0: Yes, I guess.
2: <laughs> but who knows, you know, you don't know them personally. Right. So who knows what their life is like. So life undercover
0: for a long time, uh, is, is that how you started getting tattoos? Cause imagine when you're younger, you yeah. didn't, you didn't get the tattoos like, oh, I'm 17. I'm going to go be a badass. No, like, I never thought about it.
2: Never, thought never about gave it. it a thought. Like, Ever. um, I was working undercover and had been maybe a year. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's hard to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd been undercover for a minute and, um, I went out to, to do a buy one day. I was with an informant. You know, can you define what a buy is for people that might not know? Yeah. Oh, it's like a, like an undercover drug buy or, or guns. I don't know what we were buying on this particular instance, but so, so maybe to backtrack just a slight bit for people that don't know the, the narcotics unit, when you work undercover, you're working drug cases, prostitution cases, um, gun cases sometimes, or bombs, things of that nature, Mm. um, murder for hire, you know, any, anything that needs to get investigated that someone driving around in a cop car in a uniform can't do. Right. Um, so I went to do a buy one day. Don't recall what we were buying, but uh, at the time I was, I was playing a particular role undercover, so I looked a, a very specific way. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. this informant that I was with I think he'd been introduced to me by, by someone. He wasn't my personal informant. Someone, like, gave him to me to use uh, one day. And uh, he just didn't buy that I was a police officer. It was kind of a talk all morning. When, as we were, like, getting ready to do the buy, he just he thought maybe I was another informant that was not wanting to say I was a snitch or whatever. Really? Um, so the day goes on. It proceeds and it proceeds. And back then, I looked very young. You know, I was probably twenty. Four or twenty-five and I might have looked eighteen, maybe seventeen, who knows.
0: It's probably not good going in doing what you're doing. It was
2: great. Really? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was great, great to look young. Yeah, I looked younger than what a, a cop should look like. So nobody really thought about you know, they thought I was yeah. some kid and they're like, Well, yeah, this can't possibly be a cop. I mean yeah. it, it got to the point where the city wanted to put me in homestead. For, really? Yeah, in the high school for a minute. That's kind of funny. Yeah, it didn't end up working out because of another police officer in Auburn that was undercover in a school Gotcha. that turned into a mess. So they pulled the plug on it yeah. <laughs> before before really bad things could happen.
0: But he still didn't believe that you were... like He still was like, ah, I think this guy might be a cop, even though you look so young. He
2: thought I... No, he... So he was an informant that knew I, I worked with the police. He gotcha. did not think I was the police. Gotcha. Right. He thought I was the same as him.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha.
2: Um, so the day wears on, it gets warm out. I take my coat off and I had like, um, like a tank top or a wife beater on. Mm-hmm. And he, as soon as my coat came off, he took one look at me and was like, Oh, you are the cops, dude. I'm like, what are you talking about, what? man? And he's like, you don't have any tattoos, bro. Like all of these people have tattoos. It had never occurred to me in my life up to that moment to get a tattoo. Um, then it was all I could think about. I'm like, I have to be better at being undercover. Right. Mm-hmm, like, I have mm-hmm. to be great at this. So, um, I asked around a little bit to a few friends, uh, you know, who I should go to because mm-hmm, it's a weird thing As an undercover cop. You don't want people to know who you are, what you're doing. And who do you go to for that? Right. Like I don't want to walk into just any shop and right. get involved in something I shouldn't be involved in. And, whatever so a few people mentioned the name Donnie Manco to me okay and I knew of Donnie he started he's started been around for a while quite yeah. quite a long time yeah yeah he started tattooing um or I'm sorry he started teaching at Carroll High School the year after I graduated mm-hmm. uh, he was teaching art I was pretty close with with my art teacher at the time and I would stop in to visit so I knew of him mm-hmm. but I'd never really met him so I, I sought him out um went to get tattooed by him. I was taking him my own drawings of Mm -hmm. things I wanted tattooed on me. I didn't know how the process worked. I had no idea.
0: Had you been drawing your whole life? Yeah. Okay.
2: On and off, not seriously, but just, you know, I would draw like pictures for my mom, (laughs) grandma, whatever. Um, so I met, met up with Donnie, started getting tattooed by him. And at some point he, he asked me who was doing my drawings. And I said, well, I, I am. And they weren't great. Like I still have them. Yeah. And I, I found them not long ago when I when I moved, and they're terrible. They look <laughs> so bad. I don't know what he saw in them that he thought this dude should tattoo. Isn't
0: that always how it is, though? You kind of look back at your first stuff. I'll look back at the first pictures I took, and it's like that, that was that was me. Like right. that was that was terrible. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. I, I saw these, and I'm like, what was that guy thinking? Like, why would he think I should be doing this? Yeah. But he did. Um, I asked him if he would teach me. He said no. He'd, he'd had a bad experience with an apprentice and he gotcha. just was going to not do it again. So the idea got dropped. I ran into him sometime later, maybe a year later, two years later. Mm-hmm. And he asked me if I'd ever learned a tattoo. And I was like, well, no, man, not unless you were going to teach me. And he's like, Oh, well, I just finished apprenticing a guy, uh, dusty Neal," if, mm-hmm. And, uh, he said I could start in January. So gave it some thought, talked it over with my wife mentioned it to the people I worked with in the narcotics unit. And, Mm -hmm. and at the time it was going to be like a way to be better at being undercover. Right. Like I thought, man, I could work in tattoo shops, Mm -hmm. um, working cases out of them. Like that would be brilliant. Um, so that, that was the initial path that I wanted to take. And then Mm. tattooing just turned out to be pretty awesome. Yeah.
0: What about it became awesome. Was it the culture of it or just the, the art behind it? Maybe a creative outlet for
2: i think it was more the creative outlet yeah yeah the culture i'm opposite of the culture of it so. really how would you say you're opposite of the culture <laughs> um i think there's a stereotypical view of tattooing right like dudes with beards with baseball caps and you know yeah I, into hard rock and metal and Piercings bikers and yeah, all the stuff that, that yeah. people think about when they think about tattoos. And I, I'm just not those things.
0: Just would you, would you say, I think we talked about this a little bit um, off camera. Was it Ed Hardy uh, before all the t-shirts got mm-hmm. crazy? He, he did kind of boutique tattooing.
2: He did tattooing as art. Yeah. I think he, he was one of the first people that, that, they kind of stepped back from from what tattooing was mm-hmm. initially in America. Like tattooing's been around for a very very long time, yeah. um, but American traditional tattooing had its own um, lifestyle. Ed Hardy came along, you know, he w- he'd been to art school and and he kind of started elevating it to something new, and mm-hmm. and but that didn't change stereotypes, you know, in mm-hmm. the fifties. Mm-hmm. or 60s or, you know, whatever. I mean, the, the, the stereotypes hung around until Miami uh, Inc. came out. Really? Really, yeah. I think that's what changed the face of tattooing as we know it, was that television show, really. Wow. Um, it just opened it up to, it opened tattooing up to housewives and white-collar people mm-hmm. um, because before the show, the people you knew that had tattoos were probably either military, um, they were maybe a biker of some sort, Um, maybe they were in a gang, Mm. had been to prison, um, or like, you know, were construction workers, like blue, blue collar people. Um, that's, that was the world of tattooing. And then Miami comes out and they're telling stories of some mom of three kids that comes in to get a tattoo for her aunt who had breast cancer and they, they design it on TV. And I mean, they made it alluring Mm. and then all of a sudden everybody was getting tattooed from all walks of life right Mm -hmm. there there weren't any more like oh i can't get a tattoo because i'm a nurse and Mm -hmm. you know like now,
0: i like i need to get a job so i'm not going to get a tattoo right
2: a a huge percentage of my clients are nurses i think really now that's kind of cool 20 years ago i would imagine no nurses got tattooed or very few of them um
0: so did wind up you wound up uh working with Mm Manko. did getting the tattoos help with your undercover career like you had intended no
2: I, um, so the undercover career can, can be dangerous. Um, really? I I thought it was all sunshine and roses, man. It carries a lot with it. And as soon as I realized I enjoyed what I was doing, like during the apprenticeship, right? I was meeting Donnie's clients. Mm -hmm. I was hanging out with all these guys that, that worked in the shop that were, that were nice guys, like really cool people. And, um, at some point it occurred to me that if, if I did start working cases out of there, there was a chance that they could get hurt because of what I was doing. Right. Like if, if somebody found out who I was and what I was doing and that I worked in that tattoo shop, maybe they would come shoot the place up Mm -hmm. or firebomb it or break the windows out and steal all the equipment, whatever the case may be. Right. I started worrying about that. So I separated the two lives entirely. Um, when I was in the shop, I never mentioned that I was a police officer, that I worked for the police department. Now, as time went by, because Donnie is a very social person and talks a lot, you know, of course He, he is. Yeah. He would have clients, uh, in the shop talking about their like experiences with law enforcement. And then he would look at me and be like, Oh, Freddie, tell us about this, you know? And I'd, I came up with the story that I was a dispatcher eventually. Fair enough. So I was around cops all the time and I knew cop stuff because I worked tangentially to to the police department and people bought that. Nobody questioned it ever. Um, And that story worked within the environment of the tattoo shop. Now, if I had been working undercover and gone to buy crack cocaine or something and told people I was a dispatcher, (laughs) that Uh probably would have gotten me in trouble. But within the um, confines of the tattoo shop, that, Little story worked perfectly, you mm-hmm. know, um, and nobody knew until uh, years later when I finally stopped working undercover and kind of just started telling people what I did. Would it be Would it be a
0: career if somebody's in high school uh, looking like, "Hey, I want to do this. Hey, I want to do that." How would you recommend that to somebody, or would you recommend which job the undercover aspect of your life? I mean, you can't. Is it something that just kind of finds plan, you? Yes,
2: you cannot plan that out as a high school student. There's really? no way to get there from high school you can't um you can't simply it's you know it's almost like the CSI thing right now mm. all the kids because these crime scene shows have been on forever and everybody's into the true crime stuff and you oh, see yeah. these yeah. these shows where the, the crime scene technician comes in and they're documenting the scene and they're figuring things out and then they're also the detective that's going to find them that's not how things work mm. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not like that at all Um, there's no way to get there here locally. Now, I don't know how other states work, but here in Indiana, your crime scene technician is a, is a, a a documenter. They document things. They don't investigate anything. They show up and they document. And I guess it's the same with, with working undercover. You can't just pick that as a career and say, that's what I'm going to do because in order to get there, there are steps that you have to go through. One of, the first one's is just simply becoming a police officer first in mm. dealing with all of that um, which is a lot yeah and then you have to you have to be pretty good at that in order to get someone to look at you to see if you'd be able to work undercover and and undercover has even changed since i used to do it like they they don't the detectives themselves don't do a lot of the work anymore i mm. mean it's mostly informant based work now where the detectives are just running their informants, and their informants are doing all the work. Gotcha. That's um, less dangerous to the detectives. Yeah.
0: You know. Um, Would you trade having that as your? First, I'm gonna say your first career. Would you trade that for? Or are you happy that? No, you love
2: yeah, it? No. Yeah. It was. It was great. It was great. I had so much fun. Um, are you having more? It was fun never now? scary. In a different way. Yeah. Yeah, in a different way. I suppose. I mean, that was like adrenaline. Yeah, I mean, it really was. It was it was you never knew what was going to happen. Um, it was no different than what's going on right now between the two of us. I would walk into people's homes, really sit down, probably drink a beer, not Starbucks, but <laughs> um, you know, and, and hang out. And I got to know the people I was buying drugs from yeah. a little bit. Does, not, not intimately, but no,
0: does that ever make it hard? Like if you get to know somebody on a slightly more personal level and then it's like, Hey,
2: I gotta, you know, I gotta no, do my job. It's a game, right? Yeah. I mean, really that I'm, I'm playing the, the cat, if you will, and mm-hmm. they're the mouse and they're trying to get away and they know what they're doing is not right. I mean, they talk mm-hmm. about it while they're doing it. Right. Really? Like they talk about the cops and not getting caught and you know, they're super paranoid, and they're peeking out windows, and they're doing all that. They know what they're doing is wrong; mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just a game, you it's, know. It's so, windows. yeah, it, in the end, um, they made the choice to do it, and and it was my job to to track them down. And if I caught them, I caught them. If I didn't, I'd try again another day. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that was just the, the the game that got played, I guess. So, no, I didn't feel bad. I mean, one there was one kid that it turned out he was like the brother of. A girl I grew up with mm-hmm. and that was a little awkward I was like oh man like, sorry bro yeah you, he found me I didn't even do anything I walked into a bar one night and he asked for a stamp and I'm like oh I got one in my car so I run out and get him a stamp and the next thing you know he's like dude I got some mushrooms at my house you want to come over and buy some mushrooms I'm like okay didn't oh, know who he was no. you know like I didn't even I wasn't even seeking that out yeah so I went and bought some mushrooms and then he was getting them in from somewhere, California or something. And so the buys went on for a while and he got in quite a bit of trouble, but it later came out or, or I found out that he was, and I was like, Oh, this is not cool.
0: Now I do want to ask you before we kind of move on to your second career. Yeah. Um, a lot of places around the States legalizing marijuana mm-hmm. uh, recreationally. Did you see a lot of, or would you see a lot of benefit from your perspective uh, of bringing that to Indiana and you, you don't necessarily have to answer from like your past or whatever, or how many people might've been gotten in trouble with the law versus not like, is it is is it even a topic that's worth debating at this point in our, in our culture?
2: I guess what I can say about that is this in all my years, never did I ever fight or get into a violent encounter with someone who was high. Really? fought a lot of crackheads, yeah. fought so many drunks. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that it's causing enough trouble for it to be a completely banned substance. Okay. Um, the states that are going recreational, I think, are very brave. Mm-hmm. Um, I think eventually, someday, the federal government will probably make it in some form or another legal, maybe small amounts. Sure. Um, I, I don't know what Indiana will do. <laughs> we'll see. Indiana's a dark horse, right? I mean, we just legalized Sunday beer sales. Right. So, uh, I mean, we were the last state to do that. So who knows what we will do. Um, probably what will end up happening at some point, I think you'll see Marion County and probably Allen County decriminalize. Mm. So very small amounts, an ounce or less maybe less than an ounce, um, you'll just pay a fine, I think. Right. And um, it won't hurt you criminally. Uh, it's, it's. I mean, from our prosecuting attorney standpoint, I'm sure it's a burden from our jail. It's a burden to to, to process these cases of minor amounts of marijuana that I, from what I've seen in my career, are it's not much different than alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I don't know it's almost at that point for, for the prosecuting
0: attorney, there's bigger fish to fry. Why am I Exactly. That? Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you get caught with a joint in your pocket, why go to all the trouble? Now there is a state law, um, that allows for your first offense of marijuana to get just dismissed like mm-hmm. right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if, if your defense attorney knows about that and can use it, then you probably won't get in trouble the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was probably Indiana's, like one step towards, <laughs> towards legalization. I, I don't know if we'll get there. Yeah. Probably not before the feds would be my guess. Fair enough. I think the feds will, will, will do that before Indiana does.
0: So you spent a lot of time, um, undercover police force, uh, doing that life, started getting tattoos. Mm-hmm. How long have you been tattooing now? Would you say, um, even with the overlap of, of careers?
2: I think in March it, it'll be 13 years. It's a long time. It's, it's been a minute.
0: Yeah, enjoyed every year of it. Has I mean, yeah. you apprentice, right? Mm-hmm. It's not something you're like, oh, I'm gonna go get a four year degree and no walk across the stage. No,
2: although a lot of kids think that now. Really? Yeah, like they can go to art school and then become tattooers, and they they're not going to teach you how to tattoo at art school. I mean, maybe that'll become a thing mm-hmm. here soon because it's such a big industry now. Um, but currently, yeah, you have to apprentice with someone that that knows what well that doesn't, they don't have to know what they're doing. (laughs) You just have to apprentice with someone. And how long is that apprenticeship? I mean, it depends Depends on the person person? teaching. Yeah, you know. How long um, was yours? About a year, I think. Yeah? Yeah, Would you say
0: that that's a good uh, rule of thumb that you would
2: advise? I think I learned a lot in that amount of time. Yeah. You know, um, Donnie did a very traditional apprenticeship for me i mean i learned how to build a machine i learned how to make needles i wow. i don't know that people are teaching that mm-hmm. as much anymore at least here locally you mm-hmm. know i think the apprenticeships that are happening now are pretty quick mm-hmm. because within the within the industry you know if you own a tattoo shop you make money based on how many people are tattooing for you Mm. So the more people that are tattooing for you, the more money you're going to make. Does that bother you? I mean, you only have one guy tattooing in your shop. Yeah, that's all I would ever do. Really? Um, And I have no interest in apprenticing anyone, although Mm -hmm. I get asked daily. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't want to do it It, currently. Mm -hmm. I think for me to apprentice someone would mean... Like a legacy, right? Like of the things that I've learned and the things that I do and, Mm -hmm. and maybe my style for whatever that is, I would want to pass that on to someone at some point Mm -hmm. to continue that. I don't want to apprentice people to make money from them. And that that's what's going on in the industry. So,
0: so would you say that you, it seems like you, the money's not necessarily the driving factor. Um, is it art? Is it the, the vibe of your studio that you like to present? Is that more of where you like to lay your head, you know, or is it just something that you like to do, man?
2: I think it's a way of me getting out all of the creativeness that's been bottled up inside of me for 30 years. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I was drawing a lot as a kid, did some painting as a kid, and then, um, you know, I had my daughter when I was pretty young mm-hmm. and became a dad and had to work and hustle and t- to pay bills and became a cop. And that isn't necessarily conducive to, to making art. you mm-hmm. know. Um, so all of that just got pushed away. And, and now I've found this outlet to get all of that out. Um, I mean, I definitely enjoy making people happy you know it's great to to see people like look at their tattoo after they're done and you know the smile on their face and yeah. the little giddiness they get and, and whatnot. Um, have you ever had the opposite? They get they get out of the chair and they're like, "What is this?" No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, the, the first six people I tattooed should have felt that way, <laughs> um, but uh, like uh, my my best friend, there, one of my best friends, um, he he was my first first client and. He has a monstrosity on his arm mm-hmm. that he will not let me fix. He will not let me touch up. He's super proud to show it off. Tells everybody it's Freddie Ray's first tattoo. And I'm like, never, ever say my name and show that to anyone. Tell people you got that at Myrtle Beach and right. Spring Break when you were 17. Well, because that's PR for you, like good or bad, right? Right, yeah. right. <laughs> he He's super proud of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, initially, I mean, you know, you think... You think you've got it down when it's time to start, and then, as it turns out, you don't know what you're doing. It just takes time. Yeah. Time and experience. Yep.
0: Do you tattoo yourself? Like, is that a weird question to ask even?
2: I mean, no. I did. Yeah. So, when you're learning, before you tattoo any other people, you have the um, ability to, one, tattoo yourself, Mm -hmm. or two, they make, like, some fake, like, latex skin, which, The stuff they're doing now is way better than when I learned to tattoo. Um, Back then, it was just like square. I mean, it looked like a sheet of paper, like a square of latex, and Mm -hmm. you practice on that. But it didn't have the feel of skin. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't give the way skin gives. So you didn't get a good feel for it, so you move from that to yourself. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I did a couple tattoos on my legs. um, But that sucks. It's really hard to tattoo yourself. Why? I think because... your body doesn't want to cause itself harm, right? Like mm-hmm. um so you're you know, you're trying to do a tattoo, you're trying to be precise, um, and, and saturate color or whatever the case may be. And the whole time your hand's like pulling away. Mm. Cause your your brain's saying, Don't what are you doing? Like this is ridiculous. Don't hurt yourself. Right. Yeah. Um so you're pulling away, which then makes you push more, right? You're it's like a fight the whole mm-hmm. time. And it just it's just not When you're getting tattooed by another person, you're kind of a captive audience. You you can't, you've asked for this to be done and then you're just stuck and you can't change what they're doing. Right. But when you're tattooing yourself, (laughs) you know, it's, um, it's a fight. So yeah, the the couple, three or four I did on myself and I've never done that again. then
0: did, I'm assuming, is it safe to say Donnie did the rest of yours? No, oh no.
2: Donnie did probably four. Yeah. So then, One, two, three. Four. Donnie did four. The rest of them are, are Dusty Neal, I think did several. He probably did five or six. Um, then I got one from each of the guys that I worked with. Mm -hmm. Um, and then everything else is from other tattooers that, that I admire and look up to Mm -hmm. and have traveled to see.
0: Really? Like you will travel to go get a tattoo from Mm -hmm. somebody. Yeah. What's the furthest you've traveled to get a tattoo? Japan. Really? Mm -hmm. Was it a traditional tattoo or they're like hitting it and...
2: Um, Well, kind of. So in Japan, they have what's called tabori tattooing. Please explain. Um, Not what you're talking about with the stick where they pound. Um, This is like a very long stick, piece of bamboo, whatever, with um, a needle attached to the end. Mm -hmm. Um, They dip that needle in ink and then they kind of lay the stick across their finger. um, Mm -hmm. And then like in a kind of up and down movement, run that into your skin, similar to the way I'm a a machine works mm-hmm. that up and down movement, just slower and more methodical than a machine. Mm. Um, what you, what you were describing is like Polynesian style tattooing, okay. um, with, a with a, a stick, uh, like a bamboo with, um, a needle attached to the end. Um, like traditionally in the most traditional sense, it would be a sharpened boar's tooth that they would use to, to, well, instead of a needle. Okay. Um, and then they hit that stick with another stick. Mm-hmm. Which is where the term tattoo comes from in the first place—the sound that, that, that those sticks make when they hit. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the Polynesian Samoan culture, that that sound was uh, tattoo was the the oh really, and then that became the word tattoo as we know it over time. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Is the did the Polynesian culture kind of build up tattooing as a thing? Originally, I mean, I mean you see it in Japan all the time.
2: Yeah, no, I think that um, Multiple cultures were doing tattoos. Do you have a favorite?
0: I Don't want to say genre of tattoo um, a favorite style. Maybe that, that you tend to gravitate towards I mean, I look at your arms and I can kind of guess one way or another
2: but you mean on me personally? Yeah. Um, yeah. Most of my tattoo imagery that, that is tattooed on me is is like a Japanese style tattoo. And you gravitate um, towards. Yeah, I was always as a kid like fascinated with with Japan. What about um, it? in the culture? I have no idea. That the I think probably like the honor um, of samurai I would assume is kind of initially maybe like the mysteriousness of ninjas. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? These things like when you're a kid and you see things on television, some of them speak to you and some of them don't. Um, I think for me, the the, the samurai, I was very, as a kid, fascinated with like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and gallantry and chivalry and Mm. these things. And I think that the the Japanese idea of a a samurai embodied that for me Mm -hmm. somehow. Um, So I, I guess... I mean, that's probably why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows?
0: Do, I mean, do they have meanings then? Like when
2: vaguely, you know, vaguely, or vaguely, is it more um, of an art? You know, I, I think of the ones that you see on my forearm. I've got one here that's the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. It's the outline of Indiana with a cardinal, um, the cardinal sitting on a couple of crossed bones with some wheat. Um, that obviously represents where I'm from. Right. You know. um, the samurai on my forearm—I actually got that after I read the book uh, *Lone Survivor*. Mm. Um, something about that one of the one of the men that went through that situation with with Marcus Luttrell in, in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a passage in the book where he and Marcus Luttrell are the only two guys left fighting of, of their unit of four. The other two have already been killed, and. Marcus Luttrell is describing his his friend getting shot, mm-hmm. and he gets shot in the head, and you know he's covered in blood and he can't see, but he's still fighting, mm-hmm. and he's probably dead, mm-hmm. but fighting, right? Mm-hmm. He's still pulling the trigger, and Marcus describes this pretty um, much more detailed than I just did um, in his book, but something about that thought of whatever the odds are against you, you keep going, right? You just Mm -hmm. keep fighting no matter what. Um, And so that idea got stuck in my head. And then I I started thinking about samurai and and things like that and how they, you know, had all this honor and and courage and they kept fighting. And I'm like, that's, I want that tattooed on me. I want a a ghost of a samurai. Mm -hmm. So even though he's a ghost, he's still ready to fight, even though he's dead, he's going to keep fighting. That's, as much meaning as I can give you to probably any of my tattoos. That's
0: fair. So, Would you say that that though to dovetail in um, is kind of a driving life factor? I know a lot of people will live their life off of a phrase or uh, they kind of have a mantra. It's that keep going despite the doubt.
2: Do you even have one of
0: those? I mean, I some people just go. I don't think go. I have
2: a mantra. I just go. You just go? I to? just think there's a lot to do. Um, there's... I, maybe where that comes from is like my grandfather. Mm -hmm. I I, I mean, he worked up until the day they put him in the hospital and he couldn't work anymore. You know, like in his mid eighties, he, he had a job always. Mm Um, I, the idea of retirement, you know, I say I'm retired from the police department. I I don't think I'll ever retire. Mm. You know, I, I'll probably be like my grandpa. I'll be 85, 86, still doing some sort of job. Who knows what it will be at that Mm -hmm. time. Um, and then I just won't be able to anymore. Just so keep I keep moving. looking for new things, you know, new.
0: What are you looking at now? <laughs> you don't need to say, not that. That's I'm not going <laughs> to, we'll, we'll have to podcast about that one a different okay, day. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've, you, got, you can I've elude. got thoughts.
2: Yeah, no, I've been writing um, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. People have encouraged me um, to write my stories Yeah. Um, because I've done, I've done a lot. I've experienced a lot. I've been very fortunate. If, if you had asked me when I was a kid, you know, I, I I grew up in a trailer park uh, and didn't have a lot of opportunity when I was young. Mm-hmm. Um You grew up here, right? I, I did. Yeah. yeah, in Fort Wayne. Um somehow, some way or another, I, I think my mom um pushed to elevate herself from the station she was in, you know, as a young single mother. Mm-hmm. Um and I saw her doing that. I saw her trying to excel. And I picked that up somewhere, somehow. And um, over the course of the years, things just happened to me. Uh, interesting things. Mm-hmm. And, and I tell a lot of these stories in the shop to people as, as we're tattooing just to keep people's mind off what's happening to right. them. And people have encouraged me to write these stories. Um, so I've been doing that a little bit maybe that'll turn into something, a book or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I see some things that I would like to change, uh, you know, around the city. I think we're doing great. I think the city's becoming something I would have never expected it to be yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to get involved in that yeah. in, in, in some way. We'll, we'll see where that goes. I'm yeah. talking to Some people about some things, and yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We'll see what that turns (laughs) into. See what happens there. Yeah.
0: Do you? Would you peg yourself as one of those guys? I know. I kind of am like this with certain decisions. It's you feel it out. You kind of you kind of go, and then just one of the one of those days comes along. You're like, "Yep, that's it. We're doing it. We're going all in."
2: Yeah, yeah. I would say it's like controlled. Maybe not controlled. Thoughtful chaos. Thoughtful chaos. I just when an opportunity presents itself. I will give it some consideration, but more often than not, I will go for it, mm-hmm. um, just to see what happens. Sometimes, you know, ta- when when tattooing came about, that that was not at all on the register. I mean, I was deep into my job at that point in my life, working undercover. It meant everything to me, mm-hmm. um, and this opportunity presented itself, and it was. I gave it some thought. Not a lot. I didn't debate about it for months and weeks. And it was just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And that's typically what I do. Um, it would be really interesting, you know, with all the movies out now about the multiverse and all these different. Oh, jeez. Like, yeah, it'd be cool to know what my life is like in these other places when I didn't make the decisions I made to see, you know, where those roads took me.
0: Yeah. Not from a regret
2: standpoint, though. No, just, just interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I keep looking at this coffee chart up here. Oh, on yeah. The wall with all of these crisscrossing lines and diverging.
0: There was a movie um, Matt Damon was in. I can't remember. It was him and Emily Blunt. And it was like all these people had hats and they all had this book of like what your life is going to be. Oh, I do. Re- yeah. And they like kept track of you. Yep. But I then do remember he like that. diverged off one way. He
2: realized that that book was a thing. Yeah. Like he wasn't supposed to know and found out. Yeah. Or he got a yeah. copy of the book. That's exactly
0: because the book fell and he's like, yeah. oh, that's mine. And yeah. then he found out he could wear the hats at that would be an interesting thing to kind of see if you had made this choice versus that choice.
2: Cause there's so many pivotal moments. Like I can look back to about probably 16 ish years old. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of moments where if I had chosen one thing or the other, my life would be entirely different. Yeah, Not sort of different. It would be completely different if any one of those things I had made the other choice. Mm -hmm. So,
0: but but you can't live like looking back like
2: that. I with, don't though. You know? Yeah. No. I just regret. it would be. Yeah. No. It's not about regret. It's just about, like I was saying about this, thing on your wall, like these lines that crisscross and, and go from one thing to the other. Mm-hmm. I, I can draw lines mm-hmm. from the time I was a kid to how I got here, mm-hmm. right? By 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 different life events. Right. And it's it's interesting to me to to think about that.
0: It's, I mean, it's definitely, what am I trying to say here? I think more people should do that. I think a lot of us get caught up in this, oh, if I do that, I'm going to regret some of those decisions. Not from a regret standpoint, like we're saying, just to like, it's good to reflect. Yeah. You know, you, you got to, and even for the city, you were talking about getting involved with the city a little bit. It's, it's good to know where we've been mm-hmm. uh, and you have to really know and be able to connect those pivotal moments to know where you're going to go.
2: Exactly. You know? Yeah. And so, that's why I look back on them yeah to to see maybe what the process was what did I do and and I think it's always just been kind of a instinctual is probably not the the right word and spontaneous doesn't quite get it but just one of those like abrupt kind of here's the opportunity should I take it And I think nine times out of ten, yeah, take mm-hmm. the opportunity mm-hmm. see what happens
0: um, isn't that a phrase you know? yeah, just go for it and see what happens. Yeah. Like, I mean,
2: yeah. What, like literally what's the worst that could happen? I mean, (laughs) I mean, is your whole life crash because you chose to take this job or you chose to move to this location?
0: Honestly, I might, I might get some flack for this, uh, for, for saying it, but we live in America. Not that much bad is going to happen. You've traveled the world. You've Uh seen true, true poverty. Like there's not very, I feel like there's not very many decisions that we would make in terms of quote opportunities that are going to cause your, your
2: life to completely diverge. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I've been reading a book recently called factfulness. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's about our perception of the world. Um, and how our perception of the world is incorrect. Um, as Americans or anyone worldwide. Anyone? Okay. Yeah. Any, any, anyone worldwide. Um, we perceive things in a certain way. Typically, we perceive the negative mm-hmm. more than the positive. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the bottom line of the book is that the world is actually getting better. Mm. Um, if you look at numbers, I've, I've recently in the last, say, five to 10 years, gotten really into numbers. Yeah. Um, not like math, but just percentages like of things. Data. Data. Yeah. yeah. And that's what this book is about, that the data of our world, it's getting better. It doesn't seem that way because we're all stuck on social media and 24 hour a day news media. Yeah. I remember being a kid and whatever happened in the world, Mm -hmm. um, it it was on the news for a night for a half an hour. You didn't have this 24 hour reporting. Right. Maybe, maybe big things. Ronald Reagan getting shot. That was on the news for a couple of days. Right. Um, you know, John Lennon getting shot on the news for a couple of days, but other things, they were on the news, and then they were gone. Mm-hmm. It's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always on our phone, mm-hmm. right in our face. It's if you turn on CNN or Fox News or NBC News, whatever it is, they talk things to death. Mm-hmm. You over and over. They bring in experts that who knows who the experts are. Right. I mean, it'd be like someone bringing me in as an, as an expert to talk about tattooing. Right. I've done it for a while. I'm no expert. Yeah. There are people in this country that are have been doing it for fifty years. Right? Like mm-hmm. their whole life. They're the experts, mm. but the news will bring on anybody that's willing to talk. And I think that doing that gives us a very negative outlook on the world. And this book really illustrates that by by talking about like, you know, like poverty, you brought up poverty. One of the big points he makes, if you had to guess, how much of the world percentage wise would you say lives in poverty?
0: Me, right now?
2: Mm-hmm. 70%. Okay. Not even close. Really? 9% Are you serious? of our world lives in total poverty, like complete poverty. And okay. So the World Bank has um, a way of, of measuring this, but basically complete poverty means anyone who makes $1 a day or less. Okay, so they do set a standard. They do. So it's $1 a day or less, so you would probably not have shoes. Nope. You would probably live in a house with a dirt floor. Mm-hmm. You would have no indoor plumbing at all, mm-hmm. no access to fresh water. Immediately, you might have to walk an hour or two hours to get to water. Um, they, they spell it out pretty clearly. Mm. 9% of the planet lives like that now. In wow. 1966, it was 50%. Really? And in that was way off. <laughs> yeah. In 1800, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was almost entirely. Really? So in 1800, nearly the entire world lived in complete poverty except for like monarchy, interesting. everybody else had nothing. So in, you know, the course of 200 years, we've gone from complete poverty to 9%. Um, it's a super interesting book mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's all about numbers. And, and I don't know, there's something about it that really illustrates this idea that we're, we're focusing on the negative so much. Mm -hmm. you know and i I guess i used to tell my ex-wife this she was always upset Mm -hmm. because i was a cop and i'm gonna cheat on her Mm. um never did almost did never (laughs) did Um, but uh, um because you know she said all cops cheat i mean it is a profession that has
0: it's the same thing like military friends right sure it's a it's You observe those families and there's definitely that, that, uh, aura maybe. Is that the right word or that?
2: Well, because um, what do you hear about? What's more interesting to hear about? Drama. Yes. So if we're going to use the military, for example, I don't know how many service members we have, but Mm -hmm. it's thousands upon thousands of them, Mm -hmm. probably 10% of them, Mm -hmm. 20% have like these extramarital affairs and all the drama. Mm -hmm. The rest of them, who who wants to talk about the guy that goes home every day and kisses his wife on the mouth right. and takes his kids out to play catch in the yard and cooks on the... Nobody wants to talk about that. That's yeah. not interesting. We want to talk about the drama. Yeah. And that's where our world's at currently. I think the state of our world is drama. It's kind of sad. Yeah. We need to change our outlook on things. Um, what
0: are you doing to make that change? What do you want to do to make that change? <laughs> not, obviously, big um, plans, but... Just in the day to day, you know,
2: in the day to day, I just try to talk to people, my clients, you know, yeah. my, the, the people when I meet, when I'm out, um, you know, you, you mentioned that I'm around downtown a lot and I am, um, I was on a date the other night and, um, you know, this girl not from Fort Wayne uh, doesn't know anything about this place. Everywhere we went, every restaurant we walked into, when we walked up, for our reservations, they knew my name. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, Freddie, your table's ready. And she's like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's, I just, when I'm out, I try to talk to everybody. I don't, unfortunately, always remember everyone. Right. <laughs> um, I think tattooing, I don't know how Donnie Manco did this. this. This is incredible to me. That dude always remembered every single one of his clients by name, knew who their wife was, who their kids were, what was going
0: on. I swear that's a special talent.
2: I don't know how, because I guess when I'm tattooing, I'm focused on your arm or your leg, and I look there, Mm -hmm. and I don't look you in the eye. I don't get to see, I see your face for two minutes, you know, when you walk in and we do whatever we do to set up, and then I'm focused on what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'll talk to you the whole time, and you'll tell me everything about you, but I don't have a face to associate that with. So when I see people out in public, I'm like, "Oh hey, yeah. hi, how are you?" Yeah, and I feel bad about it. Yeah, and I don't know how Donnie Manco kept it all straight because he knew everybody always. Like I don't know what his secret was to that. I wish I did. Um, I don't
0: know. I got one of those friends that's like knows everybody's birthday. I'm like, oh
2: yeah. What? I'm I'm lucky to know like my daughter and my mom. <laughs> right. <How laughs> old know? they are? Yeah, and my <laughs> like three best friends. Like keeping track of those birthdays is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I just try, I think to be super friendly yeah. when I'm out and, and treat everyone with respect, regardless of who they are, what their right. station in life is, what they believe. I don't care. Yeah. Right. If you're cool to me, I'm going to be cool to you.
0: You know, there was, we interviewed, um, uh, Sankofa, I don't know if you yeah, heard him. Yeah, I do, yeah. He said something kind of cool. rapper, right? Yeah, the the, school teacher rapper. School teacher rapper, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, cool guy. I need to get him back on, uh, just life update. But he, uh, I asked him a similar thing. I'm like, how do you want to impact the city? You know, everybody that usually comes on the show loves the city, loves Fort Wayne, loves people, loves the culture. And he's like, you know, I, I realize I can only impact those that I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but uh, I can only impact those that I'm in close closer community with and having a positive outlook and being kind yeah like you a lot of people will say man i want to change the city for good or i want to do this for good or it's like these big big pictures well let's bring it back in how about just your day-to-day interactions you know right your coffee gets made wrong what are you going to do right do you throw a huge fit right
2: i think I don't read as often as I used to, mm-hmm. but there's a book that I read several years ago that, that really changed my outlook on a lot of things. And it, it's called mistakes were made, but not by me. And it's this, it's this culture that we live in, um, of when I do something wrong, I don't take responsibility for it. I blame it on mm. something else. Point. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Like I don't, what it, what it, I don't even have an example off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but you know, um,
0: I mean, it could even be like, "Oh man," but the situation was this, so that's right. why I did that. Right, Instead like it's, it's
2: if when you say, you know, if, if something happens between you and your wife, and mm-hmm. you're like, "I'm sorry," but it was this, mm-hmm. I, leave the butt out. Yeah. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Yeah. Um, there's there's a quote from from many years ago um, uh, when when Ronald Reagan got in all the trouble with the Iran Contra mm-hmm. um, situation. Um, there was a world leader, Shimon Perez, Mm -hmm. who was was friends with with Ronald Reagan. And and he he said, um, let me see if I can get this quote right. He said, when a friend makes a mistake, the friend is still a friend, and the mistake is still a mistake. And I love that, Mm -hmm. right? Like, we all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I certainly have. Mm I do, regularly Um, but I think personal accountability and then respecting where other people are is is a huge step towards kindness Mm -hmm. right you can't you can't just be kind Mm -hmm. just just being kind doesn't doesn't work you have to you have to elevate yourself to another standard, right? Like, mm-hmm. cause anybody can be kind. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can give a homeless guy a dollar and that's a kind and generous act. But if you're a dick the rest of the day, what difference does it make that you gave a guy a dollar? It doesn't, you, you have to live your life in a way that promotes not only your own health, but the health of other people around you, mm-hmm. I, I guess. Well, you got to live understanding that,
0: I mean, you're going to, Yes, you're going to make mistakes, but also understand other people are going to make mistakes. Yeah. And we when, all do. If, if you can understand that, then it it's enables you a little bit
2: more to live like you're saying. Did you, um, have you caught the movie? It's a Ricky Gervais movie <laughs> where he is the only person that can lie. Oh, gosh. I, I don't know know remember the name about. of it, but, but basically something happens. He hits his head or something. Mm-hmm. So, um, Everybody else is always honest. So, you know, mm-hmm. if somebody, if some ladies were in an ugly dress
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, you know, you walk out and you're like, oh, that's a terribly ugly dress. And nobody would get offended because it was just like, oh, right. nobody lies. So when you hear the truth, it's not offensive. Mm-hmm. He hits his head or something and then he's able to lie. And then it, it's, it like changes the whole dynamic of the world. Yeah. Because he's like, oh, man, like, should I tell her it's a terrible dress or should yeah. I say that's a lovely dress, you know? And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, and I guess that's, you know, like, what do you do?
0: don't know. don't know.
2: How do you, how do you, I guess to answer your question, I just try to be respectful and nice to people and, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So if you, to kind of wrap everything up here, yeah. we've been going for almost an hour. Actually, <laughs> we just hit the hour mark. Right on. Um, I still think the longest uh, standing podcast interview is Chef Butts, I believe. Oh, yeah. I believe. But there was a lot of... You want to talk? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this could go a million different ways. Right. right? We could just keep segueing for the right. rest of the afternoon.
0: I mean, my, my biggest thing here is that we still want to see... Uh, I, I fully believe that culture um, is a should be a determining factor for why people live where they live, um, why they take part in the things they take part in, uh, buy into the culture as the whole goal of this is to highlight the culture of Fort Wayne. We're not just some dinky Midwest city, yeah. you know? I mean, yeah, you can go to Chicago, you can go to any, whatever. Like we got, I, I like the culture here. You know, we have different subcultures.
2: We do. And we have a lot going on here more. I think what you hear about Fort Wayne, especially from, from people that have grown up and have lived here and maybe lived here and gone away and come back mm-hmm. as if there's nothing to do. Mm, right. I don't believe that, though. I mean, I didn't... Oh, no, I here. don't believe that. You know? Yeah. But that's what you hear the majority of people saying. Because mm-hmm. what... You know, most people, what do they do when they live in Fort Wayne? They go to work, and then they go out drinking. Yeah. And then they go back to work. Yeah. And, you know, and... But there's a... I mean, we have... Man, we have the civic theater. We have, like... um you know a pretty dope art museum for that matter um yeah the arts united they're they're always doing performances and shows um we have the arena dinner theater down in west central Mm -hmm. um you know if if you look there are things to do the brass rail is almost nightly doing live music yeah Uh, the club room at the clyde's doing live music most nights there's things to do if you are willing to step outside of your comfort zone, yeah. right, and and go see something new or try something new. And Fort Wayne's got a lot of, I mean, our tattoo culture here is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, we have some nationally and internationally known tattooers mm-hmm. here. Um, I guess Teresa Sharp moved away. Mm-hmm. She's probably the most well known na- internationally tattooer from from here. But um, you know, we there's just a lot. That Fort Wayne has to offer and and I think that um with the help of people like you it's it's getting out there, you know, hopefully hopefully people are tuning into this or looking at your Instagram or yeah. Facebook or wherever you're promoting these things and and um taking it to heart. I just i i'm
0: I mean that's the hope is that like I moved here from, I moved here from washington d c right okay, and a lot culturally crazy, yeah, <laughs> there's Culture so much shock going on coming
2: here. For sure,
0: uh, but seeing it over time, I moved here before the before Fortesa. I feel like that's a okay. central place. Was yeah. downtown? It was a barber shop and mm-hmm. loaf and ladle, I believe.
2: Loaf and ladle, yeah, down there. Yep.
0: Um, and then just seeing everything happen is is like, why don't you like Fort Wayne? Uh, and personally, this might just be me speaking out of turn. I don't think it is. I got tired of oh, it's a cheap place to live. It's a cheap place. Yes, we know that people don't necessarily and. I don't stick around necessarily because it's cheap. I stick around because I like the people. I like the culture and I like that there's things to do. Yeah. And we have all of that. We we really do.
2: I think the fact that it's a cheap place to live Mm -hmm. helps, right? It It enables it. Well, it helps me. I've been nearly everywhere Mm -hmm. in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't do that if I lived in New York city or Chicago because I'd be paying rent. Yeah. Right, my whole life would be about paying rent, right? Um, if I lived in a bigger city, um, I mean, I grew up here, I, w- I wasn't born here, I grew up here. I stay here because Fort Wayne allows me to do all the things that I want to do, yeah. right? Like, I, I can go out every night, I, have, I, I can, can eat amazing food. You brought up Chef Butts, yeah, um, you know, Tolan, yeah, Bird and Cleaver. Uh, we've got all these local restaurants that are that are doing great things. I can do all of that here. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go to Chicago to mm-hmm. eat at a great restaurant. Um, but I can also travel to Japan mm-hmm. on a whim, <laughs> literally just be like, "Oh, I guess I'm going to Japan. Um, if I lived elsewhere, I think I would have to plan some of that out. I would have to like save and think about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I, Fort Wayne is a is a great place, would um, you say that's
0: your biggest answer to why Fort Wayne then as we kind of wrap things up what's that the
2: that why Fort Wayne oh, what f- it enables you to do yeah, yeah I think so if yeah if you if you take advantage of what this city is then yeah i mean if you if you go buy a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar house in the suburbs I, I mean you know then maybe you're paying a mortgage right instead of doing other things but right. You know, that's, that's a personal decision. I think Fort Wayne offers the ability to live your life in a way, um, that, that opens maybe doors other places. Wouldn't
0: awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much for thank for you for hanging having out. Me. We'll definitely have to do something again. Yeah, for sure. Um, so this has uh, been the tastemakers podcast. Thank you everybody for hanging out listen listen to Freddie's story uh, Life undercover life is a tattoo and just general chit chat man. So it's been good uh, for those that want to find you on social media if they can uh, it's we're, super we're, easy really
2: yeah. yeah it's just Freddie Ray on Facebook.
0: Real quick as we close out has everybody always called you Freddie Ray? you got no. one of those you got one of those names that's no that comes no? from tattooing. That just comes from tattooing.
2: Yeah um, my grandma is the only person that I ever allowed to call me Freddie really wow. yeah nobody else I was Fred my whole life wow yeah if people called me Freddie, I would get kind of nasty <laughs> <laughs> then uh when I started tattooing I was tattooing with Dusty and Donnie and all these Freddy. names and yeah. Freddie just seemed to fit I get asked a lot Ray is my last name okay so it's not like a made-up name I, I just
0: it's just one of those names that works it just becomes to stay like one word yeah yeah, Freddy Freddy Ray. Ray. yeah. so um, at Freddie Ray
2: at Freddie Ray on Instagram um the shop, the shop, the gypsy vault. Uh, we do have an Instagram page, but that, that doesn't get kept up with very yeah. well. So, um, the gypsy vault on Facebook, yeah. gypsyvault.com. <laughs> There's a million ways just to just Google it, yeah. Google it these days. Yeah, I think I'm the only thing that comes up if you Google Freddie Ray. So. hey, that's good. Yeah, that's good.
0: All right, so we're closing out, and thanks for your time, man. Thank I appreciate you. it.